You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity of greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving of thanks. For no one recognized this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thank you so much, Melanie. So over the last uh, couple of months, there's been a lot of joy uh, anticipation and excitement from the Thomas household, my household, because we found out that my wife is pregnant with our first child. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for those of you who do go to the village and did not know, now you know, sorry, I didn't tell you. Um, we just were kind of swept up with the joy. And so it's been awesome kind of planning and preparing and thinking for that child that's going to be in the world soon. And so it's been a joy for the most part, but there's also been some stressors as well, you know, just the financial burden that's going to come with that. But then more importantly, and this is for me personally, thinking through that, you know, my child someday is going to in some way imitate their father. They're going to imitate their father. And for some of you, you know, you know, you see the commercials when you see the, the little child, you know, brushing their teeth along with their parent. It's like, oh, that's so cute. And that's good. And, I, you know, that's one thing I would like for my child to pick up from me, you know, brushing their teeth. I think that's good. Um, and so there are a lot of good habits that I would love for my child to pick up from me. But there are bad habits, negative things about me that I want to steer them very far away from. Because I see the writing on the wall with those things, with those bad habits. I know where they lead to. I don't just think that this comes with, you know, children, with their parents, but this in any facet of life, whenever you have a mentor or a mentee relationship, when someone is imitating you in some way, shape, or form, you want to give them the good habits, the positive aspects of yourself, and you want to steer them clear of the bad habits that you have because you know where that leads. You know it doesn't lead to anywhere good. It actually leads to a place where it's dark and it's lonely and it can be hard to climb out of that hole. And so as we dive into Ephesians 5, 1 to 14, the Apostle Paul, as we've been going through the book of Ephesians here, he's going to be helping us to understand what it looks like to imitate someone. 
He's inviting us to imitate someone. But in this case, unlike those who we imitate here on earth, we're going to get good, of course, but we're not going to get any of the bad. We're not going to get any of the bad when we imitate this person. He is urging us, inviting us to imitate God and to have a relationship with God. And so today we're going to see three different ways in which we are called to imitate God. One, imitate his sacrifice. Two, imitate his holiness. And then three, imitate his light. And so we're going to be going through that and just really unpacking what that means. So before we actually dive right in, I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll continue on with the sermon. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're so thankful to be in your house, worshiping alongside of one another. We don't take this for granted. And I pray, Father, that as we dive into the sermon today, that we'll see how good it is to imitate you, to trust in you, and to grow in deeper relationship with you. And so I just pray, Father, we walk away not with the list of do's and don'ts or following specific guidelines or being a part of a particular culture, but being in right relationship with you. That's the key. That's the point of everything that we do here, that we are being transformed individually, but that now it also transform communities, transform people around us, transform our sphere of influence as well. And so, Father, I just pray with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, would they be acceptable in your sight? Would my heart overflow with the pleasing theme? Would I address everything I say to you, the king, And would my tongue be like the pen of a ready scribe? I thank you so much for this privilege. Again, we don't take it lightly in any way, shape, or form. Pray all this in your most glorious name. Amen. So we dive right into the first point. Imitate his sacrifice. Imitating his sacrifice. And as we are diving into Ephesians chapter 5, Um, It's really the outworkings of the last verse in Ephesians chapter 4, which is verse 32. And verse 32 says this, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Just as God forgave also you in Christ. And as Pastor Dan explained last week, all throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul is urging the Ephesian church, those in the church of Ephesus, to love one another, be gracious to one another, to be compassionate to one another, despite their differences. And so Paul wants the people of God to truly love one another. And this is a, a word, a big word, unconditionally. That they don't need anything in return, but they would love one another powerfully. And so the relationships that they are building, the bonds in which they're building, they're not that type of high and by relationship where you say hello but never see, one, never see one another again. It's not the type of relationships where you say, hey, let's go hang out sometime, knowing that you never will hang out. It's the type of relationships where you really are doing life with one another. You're loving one another and being in one another's lives and being willing to share the good the bad, and the ugly with one another. And it really gets to a point where you get to sacrifice for one another as well. So you're sacrificing time, you're sacrificing your finances, your personal preferences, your culture for the sake of one another, for the sake 
of Christian unity, of being unified underneath this banner that is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so what Paul here is asking doesn't seem like a tall task, like we would say we would love to love others who love us. But here Paul is asking something that's a big deal. It's nothing slight in the, in the least a bit. It's a big deal because as we've seen all throughout the book of Ephesians, this church is a church that is divided. There is a lot of division that's going on within the church of Ephesus. And a lot of that has to do with cultural baggage and people groups that dwell within the church, particularly the Jews and the Gentiles. And for those of you who don't know what a Gentile is, it's anyone that is not ethnically Jewish. And so there is a wall of hostility within these two groups, and it's so ingrained with them, it reminds me of rivaling sports teams. So you have Duke versus UNC, or you have the Ravens versus the Steelers. You can go even to politics, Republicans versus Democrats. You could even go to pop culture, Kanye West versus, I think, anybody at this point. You know, like, you take your pick, it's Kanye West versus that person. And so you have just this animosity towards one another, so much so that that is a tall task to ask someone to love one another unconditionally, but then also to sacrifice that person, to sacrifice for that person. It's a tall task. It is very difficult to do, especially when there's no loving foundation to begin with. There is no love lost between the Jews and the Gentiles at this time. And this is not to mention, even with that, but this is not to mention, sacrifice in general is hard, right? Just sacrificing is a hard concept within itself. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, sacrifice theoretically sounds great. It sounds good. It sounds like something that everybody should do. But at the same time, when it comes to the practical application of sacrificing, it's hard. It's difficult because we don't want to give up something without getting something back in return. We want to have some sort of a money back guarantee or a guarantee that what we put in will also get back from someone else. And sacrifice, true sacrifice, is understanding that you are giving up something knowing that you probably won't get something back in return. And that's hard. That's difficult to do. Even within a church context, that is difficult to do. And so the question is, even for these two people groups, and even for us today, why sacrifice? If you have this cultural baggage going on, if there is no love lost between people groups, if we are struggling with cultural preferences and things going on, why sacrifice? Why would we go through all this in order to be unified? Unified over what? What's the big deal as far as Christian unity according to Paul? Well, he gives us an answer in verse 2. In verse 2 in uh, chapter 5, he says this, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And so we imitate God's sacrifice when we display God's love to one another. And so God helps us to understand that he has proven how much he loves us through the sacrifice of his only son. He gives us an example. He sets an example for us before we even have to display it ourselves. We see this in Romans 5, 8. He says this, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that's heavy. 
That's powerful. That it wasn't when we were cleaned up. It wasn't when we got all of our stuff together, when we figured out our life. No, it was while we were still sinners. That's when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. I mean, that's sacrifice. At that point, we have nothing to offer. In some respects, we are unworthy of God's love. And God still sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And even to take it a step further, it's hard to sacrifice someone you love, especially for people who don't love you back. I mean, we as a people before knowing Jesus Christ, before knowing the truth that God sent his son for us, in a lot of respects, didn't want anything to do with God. We lied about God. We gossiped about God. We called him names other than his name. We constantly were hating God and and, and at odds with God. We were separated from God. And so that would be hard. And I don't know about you, but if I have an only child, I'm not going to sacrifice my child for people who want nothing to do with me to save them. For what? That's difficult. That's hard. I would sacrifice my life before my, for anyone would hurt my child. And so this is a huge deal that he is not only sacrificing, laying everything on the line for people who want nothing to do with him, but he's sacrificing his only child to do so. And so God proves to us that he is willing to go to every length in order to save his people, in order to restore and bring right relationship to his people, to him and his people. He is willing to do whatever he can to ensure that even people who hated him would come back into right relationship with him by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And so it's not when we are worthy of it, it's when we're unworthy of it, when we don't have anything to the offer. And so that is what true sacrificial love is. And so as God has just sacrificed for us, we get to also sacrifice for one another. Sacrificial love really helps us to understand that we don't need anything in return in order to love one another. Unconditional love, sacrificial love assumes that the other person isn't, isn't able to give you anything in return. It's not for your benefit, but you're loving them just because they are a person. And so sacrificial love doesn't require proof of existence. and only requires the only prerequisite for sacrificial love is that you are a person is that you are a person, that you bear the image of God. That is what's most important. And so therefore, we are called to love one another in a sacrificial way. And even think about the aspect of God sending his son in the midst of while we were still sinners, while we were still at odds with God. Even that aspect is helping us to understand that we shouldn't be afraid of one another's mess. We shouldn't be afraid of one another's sin. We shouldn't be afraid of one another's baggage. It shouldn't be a time when someone tells you what's going on in their life, you know, divulges the darkest, deepest secrets of their life. We shouldn't step back. No, we need to step in. That's a time for us to step further in and to let them know we are here and we love you. I mean, I don't know about you, but one of the greatest feelings in the world is having a dear friend or even with my spouse and being able to tell them this is everything going on. This is everything that I'm struggling with. These are the darkest depths of my heart. And they say, hey, guess what? That's bad. That's awful. But I'm stepping in further. 
I'm going to love you still. Actually, I love you more. I mean, that's heavy. Like, to me, that's one of the most beautiful things in the world, to know that someone loves you even when you reveal the darkest depths of your heart. They are still there. And not only are they still there, but that relationship is stronger now. That's heavy. That's what God did for us when he sent Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ in the midst of our darkness and says, hey, I love you. I am sending my son son, in the midst of this in order to ensure that your baggage, your sin, whatever you are going through, I am not afraid of it. I can handle it. And I can handle it so much so that I'm going to send my son to die and to restore you to right relationship with me. That's the power of the gospel when it comes to sacrificial love. And so we're called as a people to not be afraid and to step further in to the dark depths of one another's hearts, to the dark depths of one another's lives, and walk with one another in that, helping one another to know more and be more like Jesus Christ. It's being more like Jesus Christ. And so this leads us to our second point, and it's imitating his holiness. It's imitating his holiness. And so in verses 3 to 10, we kind of see that this is Paul's urge to imitate his holiness, to imitate God's holiness. And very similar to imitating his sacrifice, one thing that I do want to point out is that God is not a transactional God. Um, that, the, that God doesn't expect us to give in order to get something in return. He knows we don't have anything to offer. That's what sacrificial love is all about. But when we are pursuing God and his holiness, we are pursuing a deeper relationship with God. We're pursuing a deeper relationship. So it's not transactional, but it's actually relational. That as we grow closer to God, we're going to want to be more like God. We're going to want to be more like Christ, to live righteously and to have that righteous standard in our lives. But as we are going through verses 3 to 10, one thing that I do want to say is that Paul doesn't seem at first on the surface so keen on this relational aspect. It actually seems more transactional on the surface. Like if you read verse 3, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for saints. So in other words, don't have sex outside of marriage. In other words, don't accumulate money just for money's sake. Or we can go to verse 4, have no obscene and foolish talk or crude joking are not suitable for the people of God. And so don't make jokes that, that, you know, have sexual innuendos at the end of them or gossip behind one another's backs. And so this is the, the list of the don'ts of what not to do in the faith. But then he brings us to the do. So instead, do verse 9. So verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so be righteous, tell the truth, do the right things. In other words, be perfect. And holiness in some respects does mean, you know, perfection, without blemish. You are unblemished. You are fresh like a white tea. 
And so it seems like here Paul is engaging us and telling us to you know, do these, this list of do's and don'ts, of wills and won'ts, these if-then statements in order to get your golden ticket to heaven, in order to get to a location and to have all of your benefits. And so it's this guideline that you have to follow to the T in order to get into heaven. And to be honest, you know, in some respects, this is what the Christian faith has been boiled down to in our culture. A list of do's and don'ts or if-then statements that if you do certain things, if you read specific theologians or if you talk a certain way, walk a certain way, dress a certain way, if you have a particular type of culture, then you will get into heaven. The Christian uh, faith today, to me, is more about virtue signaling. When I say virtue signaling, it's public declarations about a particular movement that's going on. And so it's public affirmations that you are with Jesus Christ, but in private, you never say his name. There's no real relationship there. And so that's not what Paul is talking about here in verses 3 to, 3 to 10. Paul doesn't want us or the Ephesians to walk away with a list of do's and don'ts or if-then statements. He's not waiting for us to clean up our act and then he'll help us to be more like himself. No, we, we, we already saw God sent his son when we were unworthy while we were still sinners. Romans 5.8, he sent his son in the midst of our darkest times. He sent his son in the midst of our sins. And so if he did that in the midst of our sins, it's not about us cleaning up our act and ensuring that we're reading the right theologians or being a part of the particular culture that, 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 that seems like is most Christian. Or it's not about us walking a certain way, talking a certain way. No, the point, the point Paul is trying to make here is our personal holiness isn't about us proving our worth to God. It's knowing that our worth has already been proven by Jesus Christ. Christ has already proven that in our stead. And so now through Jesus Christ, we are free to pursue a right relationship with God. We're free to pursue a relationship with God. Like before we couldn't and now we can. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So at some point, because of our sins, we were separated from God. Because of our disdain from God, we did not have a right relationship with God. And so for a long time, we saw God as a transactional God, that if we did certain things, then we would get what we had already put in in return, that we would have that money back guarantee. And that if we lived up to the righteous standards set forth by God, then guess what? We would get our golden ticket punched to heaven. But here's the thing. We can't live up to the righteous standards of God. We can't. And honestly, and I don't know about you, but this is definitely personally for me, I can barely live up to my own standards. I can barely live up to my own standards. I mean, all of my life, I have questioned whether I belong, whether it be on the basketball court or even in the pulpit. I have questioned myself whether I belong where God has put me, where God has placed me. I constantly suffer from a lack of confidence, and I always am questioning myself, and I know I very seldom actually live up to my own standards. And let's be honest, God's standards are a lot higher than mine. And I imagine that even for you, 
Even for you, you probably feel the same way as me at times, or even all the time. That you feel like those little things in your life, those little weaknesses, those little inadequacies are glaring to everybody else. And that you will never live up to your own standard or even to other people's standards. That those standards are unattainable. And so you continually try to work yourself to get to that standard knowing that you never will attain it. And we all want to attain it in some respects. I want to attain it, but it's impossible. Our standards for ourselves and even God's standards for us are impossible here on this side of heaven. But this is the beauty of the gospel, that even when we don't cut it, God takes care of us. That even when we don't cut it, God takes care of us. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the standard that we couldn't be, to live up to the standard that we couldn't live up to, to live a totally perfect life and to die the, and to die the death that we should have died that was meant for us. And so when he rose on the grave on the third day, he was conquering sin and death, but he was also conquering our false standards of ourselves. He was helping us to see that we no longer have to live by those standards and we no longer have to live with the, you know, quote unquote rule that God is a transactional God. That God needs us to put in something in order for us to get something back in return. No, God took care of all of that when he sent Jesus Christ because when we imitate and pursue God in holiness, we're not pursuing a transactional God. We're pursuing a God who wants to be in right relationship with us. We're pursuing a relationship with God that we once didn't know was possible. And now it's possible through Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants us and the Ephesians to understand that our our personal holiness, our personal relationship with God is vital, not only for ourselves, but also for people around us as well. It actually helps people to not stumble in their faith when we are personally in our private time having a relationship with God. And I don't think that this is only for Christians, you know, being able to take care of yourself spiritually. But in life in general, you know, there are, you know, good practices. Like it's good to take some time away to take care of yourself. Like it's good to take some time away to take care of yourself. Like people around you can tell when you have gotten good sleep, when you have been able to do the things that you enjoy, when, you know, you, know, you have good personal hygiene. They can tell by looking at you and sometimes by smelling you at times. And so they can tell when you have taken care of yourself in general. And so as Christians, we are called to take care of ourselves by pursuing a relationship with God. And I know that can seem selfish. I know that can seem self-centered, but uh, we've been teaching this to our leaders in the church. But the greatest gift that you can give other people is your personal relationship with God. It's your personal holiness. That's the greatest gift that you can give other people because people can tell. And then you yourself can tell when you have had and been in relationship with God and pursuing him in your private time, in and during your quiet time. And so I urge you and I ask of you, invite you this week to take some time, either, you know, you know, write down one or two ways that you yourself can pursue God this week. 
Just one or two ways. Write it down and commit to that for this week. And then maybe commit, it, commit to it the next week and have it become a consistent habit. But write down one or two ways in which you can pursue God this week. That can be scripture reading. That can be listening to the, the Bible on tape. That can be listening to worship music. Whatever way that you feel closely connected with God, I invite you to write that down and then try to commit to that this week. But as we do this, as we imitate God's holiness, as I said, it's not just for our benefit, but it's also for the benefit of others. And this brings us to our last and final point in verses 11 to 14. So imitate his light. Imitate his light. And so we've gone through imitating his sacrificial love, not needing anything in return in order to love someone, just loving people because they are human beings, because they bear the image of God. We've seen that when we imitate his holiness, we're really being freed by what Christ did on the cross to imitate a right relationship with God. And now we see that we imitate his light. It's helping us to understand that we are called to keep one another accountable in order to run away from the temptation to sin. It's keeping one another accountable in order to run away from the temptation of sin. And so we see this in verses 13 to 14. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. What makes everything visible is light. And so in our imitation of God's holiness, we are called to imitate his life, that we are called to help one another and keep one another accountable to ensure that we don't sin. It's even exposing sin at times as well. Even when I say exposing sin or keeping one another accountable, I know that can make some people feel a little bit hesitant just hearing that, keeping one another accountable or exposing one another's sin. Because in today's culture, exposing others' mistakes or misdeeds isn't done in love a lot of times. It isn't done with the most forgiveness or love. For many of the movements that, movements that we have today, they're geared towards accountability, which is good. The accountability part is really, really good because there are a lot of injustices done in this country that have gone um, unaccounted for, gone unchallenged. And being able to keep one another accountable ensures that there are repercussions for people's actions. So that aspect is good. But when accountability is done without love and forgiveness in mind, it really just becomes us pointing out one another's misdeeds and ensuring that we shut someone up forever that they're never heard from again, that no one ever listens to them again, and that they're not restored, and that, they're, that we're not continually walking with them in love to ensure that they turn away from their misdeeds. And so I, will, I do want to say and just want to be honest, there are some people who need to be quieter than others just in our culture in general. But at the same time, we need to understand when we are pursuing accountability, when we are pursuing exposing one another's sin, it's not about just to expose people's sin, but it's to walk with them in love and forgiveness for the hope of restoration, of seeing someone restored, of seeing someone repent, that imitating his light is helping people to repent. When I say repent, it's turning away from sin. It's turning away from sin. 
And that can be hard. That can be difficult to walk with someone in that. But that's part of the point of being Christian. That's part of the point of being human, that we are not afraid of one another's dirt. We're not afraid of one another's mess. So we're here for all of that. And we're saying we're going to step in and say, I still love you. I am still for you. And we are going to plan an attack and a, a way for us to continue to walk forward to help you to stay accountable, to be more like Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's all about helping one another be more like Jesus Christ. And that, that's what it's all about when we say imitate his sacrifice or imitate his light. It's imitating and helping one another to run away from sin and be that much more ingrained and be that much more like Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who are going through something right now that you may feel alone, you may feel like you are so isolated, I do want to say I encourage you to let someone know what you're going through, to tell someone. Like telling someone actually helps. Now I don't know about you, but this is how it's always been in my life. I have always felt shame about my sin. I have always felt such guilt about my sin. And I've always felt like I can't tell people. Because then once I tell people, then guess what? The real Julius is out and they won't respect me. They won't like me. They won't love me in any way, shape or form anymore. And so I urge you to tell people because it's just not true. Like for someone like me, I go to, you know, visions of doom when things like that happen. And a lot of times, actually most of the time, it never happens. When I let people know what I am going through, it's the opposite. They say, wow, that is a lot. How can I help? Wow, that is a lot. Let me step in further. I I need to be with you that much more. Wow, that is a lot. Let's walk through this together. And so for me, a practice that I have is whenever I'm struggling with sin or even a situation that's not sin, but it's just heavy, it's overwhelming, I just send a text or I call a couple of friends, my ride or die friends, and they are there. Whether it be they're calling me, they're praying for me, they come to my house, they help me to understand first and foremost that I'm loved by God and then that they love me as well and they want to walk with me in this. And so I urge you, don't let whatever is going on be a burden so much so that you have to carry it on your own because you can't. You can't carry it on your own. You need a band of people. You need a group, a community to help you to carry that load. No one should have to walk through this life alone because that's hard. We've seen it through the pandemic. It's difficult to walk this road alone. As Christians, as non-Christians, as anybody, it's hard to walk this road. And so I urge you, if you are going through something right now, whether you are a partner at our church or whether this is your first time, this is your first time in church, I urge you to tell someone what's going on. Because that helps the power of whatever is going on to lessen, that burden to lessen. And you're able to walk with people who want to see you do well, who want to see you get better, who want to see you be more like Jesus Christ. That's what imitating his light is all about. Just seeing people be restored and know more of Jesus Christ. Um, A theologian named uh, Soren uh, Kierkegaard in his book called Works of Love, 
Um, he has an interesting quote when it comes to um, how we view one another just in general. Not just Christians, but how we view people and how we're supposed to treat people. And he says this. It is, in fact, Christian love which discovers and knows that one's neighbor exists and that it is one and the same thing. Everyone is one's neighbor. Everyone is one's neighbor. And that can be a convoluted quote, but I just want to say and focus on that last aspect. Everyone is one's neighbor. That Christian love, the imitation of God's love, the imitation of his sacrificial love, the imitation of his holiness, the imitation of his light is helping one another to be more like Christ, but also helping one another to understand that we are to love people just because they are people. That we can't be afraid of one another's mess. We can't be afraid of one another's sin. We can't be afraid, but we need to step further into one another's lives. We need to walk with people and help people and trust that as we are there, that it is good. That we are helping one another. And that is what being a Christian community, that is what being a human being is all about. That we get to help one another through the mess of this life. Because we can't walk this road alone. We can't do it. And so that's why God sent his son in the first place to take away the burden of trying to be perfect, of trying to get to God through a transactional way. That's why he sent his son to deal with all the mess and to let us know that God isn't afraid of our sin. God isn't afraid of our sustain, but he wants to step further in it. And he sent his son to step in it and to save us from our sins. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the cross. For those who are Christians, but even for those who are not Christians, if you are here, I'm thankful that you are here. I'm thankful that you are here worshiping alongside of us and you decide to walk into our doors. And I want to say to you, I would investigate this Jesus. I would investigate the God of the Bible because he wants you to know that whatever you are going through, he wants to walk with you in it. He's not afraid of your disdain. He's not afraid of your dislike. He can handle it. He can take it. And he wants to walk with you in whatever situation you're going through. And as we prepare to take communion, that's what communion is reminding us of. Now invite the worship team back up here. That the communion table is reminding us that God is with us through the mess. That God's sacrificial love is displayed through his son, Jesus Christ. That he proved that he loves us so much so that he is willing to sacrifice everything so that we can be in right relationship with him. And so as we come down the middle aisles and take the cup and we go out the outer aisles, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of this type of love. And so I just pray that as we are being reminded, take some time just to pray. Take some time just to process what God's sacrificial love means to you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful just to be in your presence. We are so thankful that you are a God who 
comes to deal with our mess and who's not afraid of our sin. But you are a God who wants to enter into the mess and help us to be more like yourself, to be more like your son, and you're doing it day by day. And so I pray, Father, would you continue to help us to trust in you, to help us to know that you are our God and you care and love for your people. I pray all this in your most glorious name. Amen.